This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the show, Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez with you as we... My gosh, guys, it feels like fall, finally. We had this cold front. He'd come in here on Wednesday. It's in the yeah. 60s tonight. Like, it feels like Florida football weather, doesn't it? And yet, my parent, uh, my father just sent me a, a photo of his patio in Long Beach, California, right outside Los Angeles. It's 101 out Ooh. there today. That's it, everything is kind of weird, but it does feel like fall in Orlando. Which wait, wait, is nice. wait, 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 wait. 101 in Long Beach? Yes. Not I Palm think. Springs, like Long Beach. They actually live on the water, so it's about it's about as it's about as much of a sea breeze as you can get, still 101. I was going to say. Uh, and and for the last two years having to live out uh, living out there, I will attest it's been usually around 100 or so deep into October in Southern California. So while we go into fall, they're still in summer. No, nobody cares about any of this. But uh, yeah, anyway. I'm just surprised that you're telling me it's not 72 and sunny like every day in Southern California if you're by the beach, you know. It's just a, that's just a, a stereotype, people. There actually it's, is some weather. It's a myth. <laughs> well, I mean, you got the Santa Ana's every now and then. But, you know, other than that. Oh, and the fires. Yeah, you can't forget the fires. Anyway. <laughs> you know, the entire state's on. You know, the yeah. entire state's going but other than that yeah but other than that like it's it's great right so all right we got lots to talk about in the show uh we'll we'll recap the uh just put a bow on the east carolina game and uh preview the uh night's home opener against the tulsa golden hurricane opportunity for revenge here i think uh, dylan gabriel was talking about that uh, certainly earlier um this week and uh, we've got some other news also from the world of football. We'll check in on some of the NFL guys. Gabe Davis is getting some run out there with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of other things to pass along. But we begin with, oh my God, this might actually happen. All right. <laughs> Mackenzie Milton, according to one Brian Murphy, has been cleared to practice in pads. And lo and behold, UCF actually shared an image of this on the uh, on the Internet of Mackenzie Milton looking rather sweaty in shoulder pads, throwing a football next to Dylan Gabriel and running and doing all that kind of stuff And, and and like doing football things with pads on Brian Murphy. Are we are we about to see? the culmination of the greatest comeback story in college football history. Well, it depends on when you expect to see it. Like, like whenever, like, I mean, this weekend against Tulsa, probably not. Matter of fact, likely not, but later on down the road, maybe look, there's no comeback date for, for Mackenzie Milton. And let's also clear the way. Like I deserve no credit for this. This is only just writing about what we heard from, uh, offensive coordinator uh, or co-offensive coordinator Alex Galesh on Wednesday, and and you know obviously you know what UCF has put out there on on the internet with the photos of McKenzie, um, but you know he's not going to play right away. They're still taking it very cautious with him. It's just that he has reached another step in his recovery. He has now been cleared to practice in full pads. Uh, we're not exactly sure for how long. I, I, I you know I've been told that. 
it's a good assumption that yesterday was his first day in full pads. Uh, but 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 it, it's it's just amazing, right? And I, I think as I wrote at the end of my article today on it, you know, I think we all talked about you know his chances of coming back over the past couple of years, and you know I think we've all been more and more optimistic as as he's improved. But something about that, something about seeing him out there doing normal football drills in a normal football uniform, like, a, you know, an outfit in a practice, in a real practice, looking like a football player, just with one with, a, you know, the, the knee brace on his on his right knee still. But everything else is very normal about it. And just like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. Like, I don't know if I can there's, I don't know if I can doubt it anymore. Like he's he's going to play again. And I know people will like will scoff at me and laugh and say, like, well, of course he is. He was determined. He was never going to give up. Of course he was going to come back. The, the odds of, again, we always state this, the odds of him coming back were never great. The, the, the history of players suffering this kind of injury is not good. Those guys do not regain their, their athleticism to come back and play. So I, I looked at these photos and just hearing from Golesh today or Wednesday, I'm like, I, I think it was like sort of an epiphany for me. Like, this is, this is not just like, will he, can he? Like, Dylan Gabriel was right when he said it's not about if, it's about when. And I, I think that's right. I think he's going to play. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but it's going to happen at some point. And that's so exciting. Let's hear from uh, Alex Golesh, uh, the co-offensive coordinator for UCF right here. Mackenzie Milton a, is like a, a bright, bright sun on a, on a gloomy day. KC uh, is, is literally, you know, the heartbeat of, of our offense still is. Um, it's been a captain these first two weeks for us. Um, he, there's a sense of energy and confidence and, and um, passion that comes from him when he comes out. When he, when, since he started actually practicing with us, it's like there's a, you look over and he's got a smile and balls are zipping everywhere. There's, there's a sense of excitement among everybody on offense. I know for me, uh, seeing him play from afar and now being around him, uh, to see him out there is, is absolutely incredible and, and honestly humbling in a lot of ways because a lot of people said he shouldn't be out there or couldn't be out there. Um, and it's a credit to him and his perseverance and his drive to get back. I think we're just being really, really smart with him, uh, letting him get comfortable doing everything from, from getting a snap to drop him back to handing the ball off to, to get it, getting, it's been two years since people have been around him um, in, ter- in terms of a football situation. I think when he's ready, he'll be ready. Uh, you know, th- there's not a whole lot of pushing him to get ready to go into a game and, and go win a game for us. Um, when he's ready, he'll be ready. And that's not a that's not a coach answer or a cover anything up answer. It, it's a true answer. When he's ready, he'll be ready. And I think he he's he's 23. He knows when he'll be ready. And whenever he says he is, we'll be ready to play him. Um, in, in whatever role that is, I think the fact that him and Dylan are so close and what, I mean, you can see every time Dylan comes off the field, the guy sitting next to him, it's, it's Casey. And um, he's, he is that calming voice for Dylan on the sideline. He's been through it. The relationship they have is, is incredible. And, um, and it's been really fascinating to watch him grow in that role as well. But I, when he's ready, he'll be ready. He's physically ready right now in terms of, clear to practice and clear to have people around him. Um, there's a huge mental side of it as well, going through what he went through. Um, and to be able to play that position, that position is really hard to play if you're not 
there's a there's a confidence factor. There's there's bodies all around you at all times. You've got to be able to move the pocket, move in the pocket, move out of the pocket in this offense. And and um, whenever he says he's ready, the medical staff says he's ready to go. Boy, that's going to bring a smile to my face. In whatever capacity that is, right now we've got a really good vibe going on offense. We've got we're we're we've got a lot of things we got to work on, but we we're hitting on a lot of cylinders right now that there's not a pressing need to say, hey, we got to rush him back. I think anytime you get somebody that's gone through what he's gone through, you'd rather play him too or too late than too early um, so that you don't hinder their uh, their progress moving forward. And I think that's where we're at. Right Co-offensive coordinator Alex Galesh. Eric Lopez, are, are, how are you feeling about this? Because, you know, as a fan, you know, I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, anytime I see him even putting weight on that right leg, I'm like, Oh God, you know, and it's, I can only imagine what must be going through, you know, McKenzie's head. And of course the coach's heads and, and all of his teammates heads, everything to everything, every time that happens. But this is a, but like Murph was alluding to, there's a still a long road back from being cleared to practice. Even if you're in pads to actually stepping out onto the field in live competition. Right. Well, let me. I want to clarify, Murph. Can you clarify that? So, if he's cleared uh, for that, is he gonna like? Is there a possibility he dresses, not necessarily play, but dresses, which uh, and have the jersey on and have the pads on, if not this weekend down here before at some point this season? Is that still possible as a result of this, or is that a different step? No, I think. Well, look, we will talk to Josh Heupel on Thursday. Okay. And- uh, and uh, there will be McKenzie Milton questions asked, uh, certainly, because we we just want to know the finer details of exactly his pace. How, you know, what 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 can he do now? What can he do? And like you said, Eric, does this mean that on Saturday he'll be out there in a number ten? Uh, that would be that would be amazing. Even if he's just you know like the fourth string quarterback or can't not clear to play yet, obviously or whatever. Like that would be that would be a photo. That would well, be a photo. It, it's it's very interesting because I mean, and look, I think. We've been kind of getting hints, right? It's not like UCF has been hiding this. They've shown videos and photos. You've seen McKenzie working out and things. So it's not like uh, they've been kind of like, hey, guys, let's not make a big deal out of it. They've been kind of teasing this a little bit. They know stuff we don't. They're not telling us everything. (laughs) So clearly they know how things have been going. Um, You know, I've always felt that he would come back. Uh, The question would be, I think, you know, could he, could he, you know, and the reason why I asked that question is because who's to say he can't come into a game and hand off the football? Can he do that? Uh, because I think that's, you know, the logist of what we might see this year. He's not going to start. Uh, I mean, uh, for those that think he's going to start here, it's not going to happen because we already have, you know, Dylan Gabriel, as we'll get into, is playing at a super high level. But yeah. it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story that he's even in this position. And, I'm fascinated to see what McKenzie's goal is. Is McKenzie's goal just to be back and get a snaps in? Or does he feel that he could start again? And if he feels he could start again, then uh, that's even more fascinating. And that'll be certainly a storyline in maybe ne- in the offseason. But, uh, hey, look, it's all positive. Credit to him. He's worked his tail off. He's done the work. And uh, and everybody around him. I mean, it's been a, it's a, it's, I mean there's nothing but the positives of it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a collective effort all the way, not just with McKenzie, but also with the his doctors in in, in Minnesota and also the UCF medical team. 
to get him back here. And but again, it, he doesn't get here without a just ridiculous uh, nonstop work ethic and resolve and perseverance. That yeah. that you know we didn't already know how competitive he was, and we already knew that because of how you know we saw that on the field. Like this is a competition for him, and he is he is just doing whatever he can to to beat it, to win it. And, and so it just, of course, sort of speaks to that sort of um, that inner fire that that the really the truly great ones have. He's uh, I, I, it's it really is. I mean, it really is a tribute to what he's been able to do and to just try and come back from this is to even attempt it is a Herculean task. And uh, boy, I, I, it's. People are going to start, of the 11,000 people who are going to be in the stands, people are going to start stirring if they see him come out, you know, <laughs> in pads, you know, like, like we've seen him come out for like the coin toss a couple times, right? Yeah. He's As been, a captain. Last two weeks. Yeah. So. so you'll, and you'll probably see him again this week, I would imagine, you know, because yeah. each, each team only allows one player to come out to the middle. You'll probably see him do that, you know, probably every game this year. Um, so, hmm. yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on. In the meantime, um, as far as on-field things are concerned, uh, well, I mean, here's here's the obvious, right? UCF is two and zero and averaging fifty points a game, number one in the country in total offense at six hundred and forty-six yards per game after dispatching East Carolina after a shall we say a very uneven start. How many false start penalties did we see in the first quarter? There was four. There was four before an opening snap. <laughs> and yes. which is unbelievable to me now all right so i heard something interesting i don't know if you heard something something about this before and i, and I wanted to um i wanted to give credit to the right person on twitter on this so you have to forgive me but that one of the reasons why that why that was happening at the beginning of the game was that someone on ecu was simulating the snap count yeah and okay, so 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 that's what you heard as well. And then Heupel talks to the officials about it, and that's when it stopped. Well, I'll tell you who you should give credit to. You can give credit to Dylan Gabriel. He said it after okay. the game. Because um, I didn't I didn't catch that part after the game was over. I didn't see it, but that that was what the problem was. Yeah. So Dylan after the game. Well, Josh, Josh was asked about it too after the game, and he didn't really talk much deeply into it. He just sort of kind of gave you a wink and said, "Yeah, it was you know kind of kind of weird to see that." But Dylan was out there saying, yeah, the way they were sort of the way that ECU was 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 going is that right before the snap, they'd be yelling out move or they'd be yelling out go, go. And so they're yelling it out across the line. And I think that was obviously leading to some movement on the other side of the line. So that's just that's what happened. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to give credit to this is one heck of a handle. Twinkle Toes SSI. <laughs> so what? So my I mean, that's fine. So what was the excuse for the other 15 penalties? <laughs> uh, now, yeah. now. Well, I'm just saying. I feel like that, that's a that's a look. I can't there imagine seven seven false starts in the right. first half. I can't imagine East Carolina is the first team in the history of college football that's done something similar to that. So, and I've nobody has ever seen that. That was it, it, that was not. A, now you could say, hey, that's what happens when you have a new offensive line, some new you know, newbies in there. But you got to be better than that. You just got to be better than that. And hopefully this is a valuable lesson for them on how to stay focused and locked in. So, look, it, it was um, it wasn't pretty. It just wasn't pretty uh, from that standpoint. 
but hopefully they grow from it and they learn from it and they get better from it. That's really you can take from it. Well, they certainly learned from it and grew from it in the second half and in the second quarter on because they dropped 51 on East Carolina. <laughs> they did. But I, I, I have a bigger long-term concern here because I feel like, you know, this is a team that had the most penalties last year in school history. I think they had 111 penalties. Yeah, uh, and the, the penalties have been going up year after year it's after been year. Going up, and and look, did it was it going to cost them the ECU game? No. My concern, guys, is developing bad habits. And and I remember because you know they you know they converted like a, what was it a first in thirty in that first drive, and they scored right. a touchdown. Yeah. My my concern, and remember, you're dealing with eighteen to twenty two year olds. It's it's one thing to be for coaches to be concerned, but if a player feels like ah that's okay, if we committed these penalties, we'll over, we're fine, we're not no big deal. Now you're developing bad habits, and I do think penalties could come back to haunt you here down the road if you don't clean some of this up. Uh, think back to the Tulsa game, Murph. You were there. They had 15 penalties in that game. That contributed to that loss. You may not say hey one single you know all the penalties were the reason they lost, but it did play a role in it. Think back to the Pittsburgh game where they had some crucial penalties in that last drive where Pittsburgh scores a touchdown. That's mm -hmm. my biggest concern moving forward. Not not necessarily the ECU game is moving forward when you play a team, maybe Memphis, maybe it's the game at Houston. Is Are these penalties going to come back to haunt you like you could argue it did last year? That's my biggest concern. I don't think anyone is arguing that it's a concern. I, I'm, you know, I think we're talking about how it was very flukish in their second game, but still, yes, it's still a concern. It was, it was, you know, it was a concern in some points in week one, like, uh, and you're right. Like they were, they were, they made so many mistakes at Tulsa with penalties. They did throw away the game there because of that, you know, because of their penalties there. Um, so we'll see. I don't, it's not the thing that gets, it's going to get, that's going to be cleaned up, you know, in one week, it just will not be. Uh, and there are some penalties that this coaching staff, is willing to forgive, and most of those penalties are in the action of the play. When you are guarding a wide receiver and you're a little too aggressive and you get called for it, uh, you know, like yeah, they'll say like you know, darn, you know, try to be more like, techno, try to be more te technically sound. Like, but really, they they don't mind that. They, like penalty, they, they they don't mind penalties of effort, right? Yeah, they want yeah. guys to be aggressive. They want guys to be aggressive. Yeah, because there's a difference between penalties of effort and just stupid penalties, like like you know. Jumping offside, you know, false start. I mean, I think you could categorize those as, as dumb fouls, right? Or, or things like twelve men on the field, or something like that. But and certainly, like, and certainly with some of the false starts on against ECU, like two of them were by receivers. Yeah. And that, like, okay, I don't care what the defensive line is doing. You need to watch the ball, man. I mean, you're looking in at the core anyway. You're looking at the at the line of scrimmage anyway. Like, what do you care if, if the guys across the line are, are yelling? Like, watch the ball. Yeah. Well, here, here's an interesting fact for you. Of the uh, 72 teams playing in college football right now, uh, UCF is the is 70th in fewest penalties per game, uh, and they're the worst among uh, teams that have played more than one game at 13 and a half penalties per game. By the way, care to guess who who are tied for last, having both played one game each? Uh, I don't know, Tulsa and Oklahoma State? Or Close. Carolina, East Carolina? <laughs> Close, Tulsa and FIU. <laughs> oh, EC, lovely. ECU yeah. is 67th, Memphis is 68th, uh, 
and they're and Memphis, by the way, is tied with Georgia. So beat that I, with a stick. Like, that is so fascinating. I do you guys what what do you make of that? Because I remember somebody wrote about this last year, where the American there's a lot of penalties in the American. Is that just because uh, offenses are just so wide open and defenses are? I mean, that's kind of wild that you've got fellow conference members near the bottom there. So it's not just the UC, you know, UCF. That's really fascinating. I mean, it could be just coincidence, but still, that is really wild that you would have a multiple teams in your league. Because I know that happened again last year. So that's that's yeah. That, that's really that's, interesting. That's a that's a good question. I, I do think that pace of play has something to do with it. Um it, I I wouldn't call it the you know the whole shebang. I do think obviously there's some coincidence to that. Um but yeah, I, I I can see why that would be because I mean let's look at what we're talking about like these te- you know East Carolina, Memphis, UCF, Tulsa all run quick pace offenses where they're trying to snap the ball quickly, uh, and I think that I think that plays into it. And now that that of course that only accounts for one side of the ball too. Like does it what is, what does it account for on the other? Well, I guess on the other side of the ball it accounts for that too because you know defenses get called for penalties when they're a little tired, you know. So um, I, I can see that. I can see that. I, I would love to talk to more coaches about that and, and see about, you know, why why that is in particular. I don't know, Murph. What do you think? I might. I, I mean, I know now that it's two years running, it is a little odd. But I, I maybe just slight, it might it might just be coincidence. It really might be coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really don't have. Well, and the and the teams run a lot of plays. So when you run a lot of plays, you're more than likely going to commit more penalties. And if you're going trying to go super fast and run a lot of plays, you're going to probably run into some penalties too. So I mean, it's probably a kind of a hand in hand type of deal yeah. there. Uh, but, that's wild. But back to the back to the I think back to the original point of if you're going to score 50 points a game, you have more leeway. Through. They do. No, they do. And and then certainly the, we'll get to the offensive side. My worry is you get down the road, you're not going to be can't depend on your offense to click like that every and get out of those situations every time. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they clean some of that up because that's that's really the only issue with the offense. We know this. You've got a top notch quarterback in Dylan Gabriel who. I, you could make the argument is playing at a Heisman Trophy level. I know it's early, but right now he's playing himself the way, at the track he's playing. He's going to end up being, at worst, a top 10 Heisman finalist. Well, he was 32 of 47 for 408 yards and four touchdowns uh, and was the first night to throw for back-to-back 400-yard games. And that's in history, by the way. Dante Culpepper never did that. Mackenzie Milton didn't even do that. Uh, and he set a new UCF record with 18 straight completions at one point. Who held the old record? Was it Dante? Uh, I think McKenzie, or no, it was McKenzie and oh, McKenzie. Dante both had 15. They both had 15. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, but still, in this offense, this is not dink and dunk, man. 18 consecutive completions is nothing to sneeze at here. This is this is not this is not a West Coast offense that UCF is playing. He was still able to do it. He is playing at a great level. He was named to the Davey O'Brien Great Eight list on um, Monday and was also uh, named the Offensive Player of the Week in the American Athletic Conference. And uh, now he's licking his chops with the uh, Tulsa Golden Hurricane coming to town. And uh, yeah, Dylan made uh, made no bones about the fact that uh, that this team really couldn't wait to get another shot at Tulsa because that loss last year, Murph. Like we were talking about, still sticks in their craw, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, Dylan didn't play well, and you know he he, he committed some bad turnovers, and I think you get the sense even at this sort of young stage of his career as a sophomore, like uh, he's another guy who is sort of finds finds ways to get motivated. You know, like uh, you know, not to compare him to the best basketball player of all time. But a certain Michael Jordan did that, right? Like, he found any slight to get motivated. Yeah. Even things and, that didn't exist. <laughs> right. Just ask poor LeBradford Smith. And, <laughs> uh, and so I think, if you know, listening to Dylan this week say, you know, I don't, you know, we've all been waiting for this game. Personally, I've been waiting for this game, and that's all I've got to say. Like, obviously, he remembers. I, I would, I, I'd love to, like, go through, like, how much of that game play-by-play play he actually remembers, because I'm sure it's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it'll be in his mind when he gets on the field on Saturday night. Um, well, that he really wants, he really, really wants some revenge. Well, this Tulsa team coming in, uh, they're 0 and 1. They had their previous game, the, the game they were supposed to play last week against Arkansas State, wiped due to Arkansas State's COVID issues. They lost their opener at Oklahoma State in a game that they should have won. I, I, I will just say that outright, and I think you guys agree they should have won that game. Um, uh, at Oklahoma State, they were driving for a touchdown to go ahead, and then, and then, completely botched the goal to go situation. Then, uh, and then missed a short field goal, and then Oklahoma State, the next possession, went in and uh, and scored and kind of put the game out of reach in the fourth quarter. But uh, a couple notes on Tulsa. So this is a the uh, opening line for this game on Odd Shark was eighteen and a half. It jumped up to twenty one and a half. Fifty two percent of the money's on UCF minus the twenty one and a half. Over under Murph, 72, 69% of the money is on the over right now. And some other notes on uh, the Golden Hurricane as well. Not the Hurricanes, the Golden Hurricane. Um, they uh, Against Oklahoma State, they were 0 for 12 on third down. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't recall a single team being 0 for on third down before I, in, uh, in a game like that. Um, Zach Smith, obviously, is their uh, quarterback. But what really hurt them, obviously, was what we talked about, penalties. And then also um, <clears throat> Shamari Brooks, who was their starting tailback, who uh, w- was supposed to be the guy for them behind behind Smith to take the, uh, to take the uh, pressure off of him, tore his ACL uh, in practice before kicking off the season. But they seem to have found a guy in, uh, in Daenerys Prince, in that guy, in that uh, in that game, who was uh, who was a more than worthy fill-in, had 82 yards on 14 carries, and I watched that game against Oklahoma State. I thought he looked pretty good. He probably would have scored the winning touchdown were he not face masked um, uh, on the play. Six-one uh, sophomore transfer, but um, uh, uh, from Texas A&M, which is where he was originally, and then he came to Tulsa. But th- this is. I don't want to say this is this feels like an instant repeat, uh, an instant replay of ECU in terms of a struggling team coming in because you know Tulsa did hang with Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's a pretty good football team, but you know what are we expecting really from this matchup with UCF in their home opener in front of uh, eleven thousand fans? Eric, I want to start with you. Um, this. There, there's. I, I'm looking for. I'm trying to find the angle for Tulsa, and I just can't find it here. I can't find it. Am well, I missing something? Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, 
you say they should have won the Oklahoma State game, they probably would tell you they should have won two or three other games last year. I mean, that's kind of been their story the last well, couple of years. Yeah, last year they, they lost a slew of one-score games, I think it was, right? Yeah, well, think back. They were at SMU. They led 27-3, to lost in overtime 43-37. to They missed some kicks in that game that could have won it for them. They, they were right there with Memphis, lost 42-41. to They missed a kick there, so they could have easily won those two games. We know what they did against us. They were right there with they, Cincinnati, too, at Cincinnati. Correct. And lost by 11. 20, they held them to 24 points and lost. Yeah. So, I mean, they hang around. They're a weird team from that standpoint. And it's going to be interesting to see how you know they had a week off it wasn't scheduled to have a week off but yeah. it worked out that way in 2020 it's uh, you, you take your take your bye weeks when you when you're told to get them so um so i'm curious how they come out here they've always played well against ucf they uh and even here at ucf they won the last time they were here in 2016 i'm not saying that's going to happen here but they're a weird they're they're the most kind of strangest team in the american because you know, they lose all these games, but yet they don't get blown out more times than not. So I think that's why that spread was low, you know, that you would have thought because they tend to hang around. And Brooks is a big loss. Uh, Mike Oresco is on with Paul Feinbaum. I know Murph was shocked by that, that Mike Oresco was doing a media <laughs> uh, interview. I know you were shocked by that. Feinbaum's favorite guest, yeah, <laughs> Mike Oresco. Talked about what was great, my favorite part was he was break Mike Oresco was breaking down Brooks as being an NFL-type running back. Like I'm like, whoa, where did he become like Mel Kuyper? Uh, but, but it's true. I mean, he's, he was solid. And he, you, know, they, you look at last year, they ran the ball against UCF, and obviously – uh, had success against them, and I think they're going to try to do the same thing here. I don't think they'll be intimidated coming here. Uh, I think the fact that it's only 11,000 will help Tulsa. With all that being said, though, when I heard Dylan Gabriel say what he said, you know, I thought of the movie Rocky Three, and when they asked Clever Lang, Mr. T's character, about what should people expect in the fight against Rocky, and he said, pain, pain. <laughs> and I think that's what Tulsa, unfortunately, is going to suffer this Saturday is pain because I think clearly for Dylan Gaber to go out and say that they, they this is a game they've been looking forward to tells you they remember last year. They remember last year at Tulsa, and I'm pretty sure the coaching staff is reminding them. So they won't have any issues getting up for it, and uh, it could be a long day for Tulsa if they don't get off to a good start or convert on some third downs. I think that's a great stat to keep an eye on. They better convert some third downs or it'll get away from them early. Yeah, well, what if I told you Tulsa has won three consecutive games against UCF? And UCF's last win over Tulsa was in 2014. And oh, by the way, Tulsa has an eight to three lead in the series. Yeah, they've had some our number. They beat us in the 05 USA title game. That was a brutal, tough loss at the Citrus Bowl. Of course, the controversial one in 2012. Remember that one, Jeffrey? Oh yeah. The, the, what was it? The, uh, the 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 whistle didn't blow. There should have been. Yeah, like, there was a flag. whistle on a punt return, and yeah, yeah that, that that really flipped. The, that really kind of sealed the game for Tulsa. Yeah. In that perspective, and there was uh, th- that that play was a total mess. I remember. I, I I thought that someone came off the bench at some point during during I a play. I think they did. I think they did, and that's why people are like, well, they didn't catch that. Uh, so there was a lot of controversial finish there. So there's been some. Uh, and of course, last year, as we remember, Brian yeah. lo- lost his wheelchair as a result of that game. Murph, you lost your wheels because you guaranteed they would win that game, and they didn't. So you have to be motivated. That Dylan, I think Dylan Gabriel remembers that the most—that you lost your wheelchair. We right. must gonna- avenge Murph. Yeah, 
it's a good thing that you know when we try to express our certainty that we use <laughs> we we use exaggeration as sort of an as a narrative tool, not to mean it literally, but just to sort of express our confidence. So when I did say before last year's game at Tulsa that if UCF loses, I'll walk back to Orlando. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it didn't turn out well, did it? <laughs> no, it did. We, I just remember we were shocked because normally you don't go out like usually I'm the you know the one that'll go out on a limb like that and go crazy. You're very calm. You're very like you know even keel for you to go that. I'm like whoa, and you know unfortunately as you mentioned it didn't. Work. I'm the one who's usually the oh my god the please don't count your chickens before they've hatched guy and and <laughs> I think you guys even gave me a false sense of security for that game last year. 34-31 was the final. Um, UCF has never won at Tulsa in football or men's basketball. That streak is still alive. Well, good thing this game's not at Tulsa. Yeah, I know. It's, in it's, it's here in Orlando, so we'll we'll take it. Um, I'll bring this up, too. Tulsa, in that game against Oklahoma State, one of the reasons why they were in it is because they were all over uh, Oklahoma State in the backfield, 14 tackles for loss yeah. and six sacks. Uh, you know, Zayvon Collins is one of the best linebackers in the country, and he had, I believe, four tackles for loss in that game alone. Uh, he also had a sack and a couple tackles for loss against UCF last year. So he's a guy in the middle that UCF has to watch out for and account for. Um, but, I, you, know, I, you know, Shane Burnham, the UCF defensive line coach, said this week that you know, although Temple, you know, Tulsa plays up uh, very up tempo because there are a lot of former Baylor coaches that come out of the the Bryles the, the Bryles system at Baylor. Um, they're a very physical team, so the defensive line is going to have to be you know ready to really you know as I say bring their lunch bring their lunch pail and and go to work. And I'll just close by saying that uh, Rocky Three is uh, is not very good, but it's got a better <laughs> story. But it's got a better story than Rocky Two. So there's that. What? You're not oh, how can you be your man didn't like Rocky Three? I mean, Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, like he, he avenged Mr. T at the end there. Oh, come on. I mean again, there's no reason for Hulk Hogan to be in that film. Uh well <laughs> it wasn't wasn't Hulk Hogan. Uh or it wasn't called that. It, that it, all the all the Rocky films are not are not good except for one. One is the only good Rocky film. The other ones border between like fine to a, a, to absolute garbage. What? I'm gonna pretend I didn't wow. hear this. I well, love Rocky for Dolph Lundgren. If you could change, we could change. Ah, oh, come on. How did you not get emotion on that speech? Huh? Okay. No, I think everyone can agree that Rocky Five is complete. Garbage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a trip. Right. So Rocky Five is is just garbage. But is that, like, wait, wait. Is that is that Rocky Balboa? No, 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 no. This was the this was the the, the last of the original Rockies. Where he retires and Tommy Gunn, played by Tommy Morrison. <laughs> Tommy Morrison, that's right. His protege. And it's just a brutal film with no boxing until the very end. And it's in a street and it doesn't even include it's stupid. But it doesn't even belong in the series. Like whether you like the series or not, that one had no like it was just outrageous. And just no, throw uh, it the out. Bal- the Balboa film was fine, but like Rocky two through four are are just not very good. Like three is three's got a better story than two. No one realizes that in Rocky two for the entire film, Rocky's just a massive jerk. Why am I rooting for this guy? He's a jerk. God, he just let's um, <laughs> let's hop let's 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 hop back wow. onto the rails 
for for more for more uh for, for, for more murph takes on rocky make sure you hit uh spokes underscore murphy on twitter uh, by the way, it, it, by the way it, it, in fairness to murph he's literally as we record this He's watching his beloved Los Angeles Lakers spank my beloved Miami Heat as the Lakers are on pace to shoot a franchise record ridiculous field goal and three-point shooting percentage. And he's watching his beloved New York Yankees, which he's been grown into being a Yankee fan. His middle name, I think, I, can I share your middle name? Is that like public knowledge or is that – it's named after a legendary Yankee captain. That's all I'll say. And that's all going on at the same time. So let's, we're going to cut Murph some slack so he might deviate from time to time. Okay. My middle name, my middle name is not my middle name is not Jeter. <laughs> real quick, yeah, real quick before we before we uh, take a break and talk about other things, um, TV. Eric Lopez, yeah. not a good number on ABC this past week for uh, for the ECU game. I think mostly because everyone was like this. It, it, the start of the game was very uneven, and also Florida was on was on at the same time. Uh, what was it? Under one million on ABC. That's correct. Under a million. Not okay. good. Not good at all for the noon slot. Now, and remember, keep in mind, this was not the original ABC game. Notre right. Dame it's supposed to be Notre Dame. Us. So they just threw it in there and see what happens. And, uh, well, that happened. So, uh, no, not a good number. The game, the flow of the game, let's be honest, didn't help matters. I mean, what was it? That first quarter was over an hour. So as a TV yeah. viewer, you probably aren't sticking around for that. And it didn't help that Oklahoma and Kansas State Kansas State upset Oklahoma turned out to be a big story there. They got 2.6 million. Florida SEC opener over Ole Miss 2.6 million. So, no, not a good number. Um, you know, so they in I, I guess what they're probably not going to get a good number this Saturday on the Deuce because they're going up against, as the the promo says, the the oldest longest tri- uh, rivalry in the South, Auburn and Georgia. We'll be going head to head against that game. Yeah. So, uh, seven th- seven thirty p.m. on ESPN yeah. two is UCF. Auburn and Georgia is seven seven thirty p.m. on CBS. Is that right? No, ESPN. Oh, they. Oh, it's ESPN. Oh, prime they, time. Fowl- That's right. Fowler is going to be there with Herb Street. The game day will be there. Oklahoma Iowa State is your ABC prime time game. You can see why Fowler Herb Street ditched out of that one. <laughs> um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I will point out as I wrote in this art in the article this week, though this is important week. Uh, we should mention UCF obviously has got to take care of Tulsa business here. They got to get payback here. SMU and Memphis are scheduled to play. That's a big game in the league from the standpoint of the conference championship, but also mm-hmm. potentially where UCF and Memphis will play a time slot wise October 17th, as I wrote on Black and Go Banneret. I think there's a very high probability. In fact, I'm pretty, I would almost guarantee. Murph's wheelchairs that that game will be on ABC oh boy. at some point. Oh boy! I'm not, there you go. There's the kiss uh, of death right there. Thanks, Eric. Gotta, it's a new it's a new tradition. Every Tulsa game, we'll just <sighs> bet wheelchairs. Uh, but I I, I I am going to Memphis, so should I leave my wheelchair there? Like that. <laughs> um, fair enough. But but I think there's a chance, Murph. You said you're going there. That could be a primetime game. I break down the scenarios there. If Memphis were to beat SMU this Saturday, they both will be undefeated. I could see ABC uh, deciding to go with that game as your primetime game, opposite of Alabama-Georgia as your alternative programming. And I think Fowler and Herbstreit could be in play that weekend. It's not a heavy slate as far as games they could put on ABC. But, you know, some things going to happen. And let's say Georgia loses to Auburn. That would take some buzz away 
from the George Alabama game and could help Memphis and UCF end up on ABC. So yeah. some things just so some of the things to keep an eye on this weekend with some of these results, but certainly not a great TV number. I wouldn't freak out about it, make a big deal out of it if I'm UCF, but I will say, and I credit you, Jeff, for this, because I think you mentioned this in the podcast last year, and I remember you had a chart about this. People keep talking about the Americans TV contract and the worth, how much money they could have gotten. There's a reason why the SEC and the Big Ten make get the money they do because they do produce numbers on a consistent basis. And while I don't think it was necessarily UCF's fault, look at your playing East Carolina. That's not going to be a box office draw. The American has to develop more depth as far as TV ratings right now in football. Right now, UCF's a good draw. I think Houston's been in the past a good draw, but they got to get these teams at the Since, level now. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Memphis are right there too. I would say there's your top four basically. Well, Cincinnati, by the way, had over a million viewers for their win against Army, which was on ESPN at three thirty. Which so kind of give you an idea. Think about that. They did a better number on ESPN, which is in less homes than UCF East Carolina did uh, on ABC. Maybe the Army game played a role in that. The fact that it was a closer game. But if you can get, I think UCF Memphis, which has drawn pretty well in the past, that's a game to circle as far as a right. TV number and see how the the American draws well. So good, good um, storylines would be going into that game. You know, if the if they're both undefeated, it's the it's the teams that have won combined for the previous three conference championships yep. in the American. Um, and we you know we've talked about the past that they've had in the American championship game before. So um, so there's that playing into it. So yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could definitely see that. It would be great. It would be great. So hopefully they get it. We'll find out Monday. We should find out Monday because usually the TV networks announce TV times two weeks in advance, 12 days in advance. Uh, sometimes they push it back a week, but usually it's 12 days. So keep an eye on that. By the way, this Saturday, Jason Benetti and Rod Gilmore will be the broadcast yes. crew for the game. The bad news is they were the same crew that called the UCF pit game last year. We mm. know how that worked out. But, but the good news is Jason Benetti's awesome, Murph, right? Who is, by the way, doing it as we speak. We stand uh, Syracuse University graduate Jason go. Benetti. Yes, we do. He, and he's hosting this week, like, an alternate stat broadcast of the Yankees-Indians game. He's also been doing the squeeze play on ESPN+, Plus, which is like the red zone for baseball playoffs. So he's doing all that and preparing for UCF Tulsa. The man's a machine. I mean, he's great. Obviously, I stand him for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, CP gang, definitely in the house. And, and uh, I absolutely, I, I really wish I could meet Jason because he, he's kind of his inspiration to me. And even though he's like younger than me, which also pisses me off, but, uh, <laughs> but I really would like to meet him. And like, I don't like usually get like starstruck with announcers, but like because of Jason's life and upbringing and how it sort of mirrors mine in, in a lot of ways, like that's, you know, it's really cool to see him be just so successful and so all over everything, all over everything. He's a he's a master right now. Well, maybe not well, this year. Maybe not this year, but hopefully in a future year, we'll bring Jason. We'll be able to bring Jason down for uh, for a UCF game and and facilitate a meeting between you guys because that would be fun. I believe, I believe I believe he was here for a game last year and I didn't see him. I mean, they're you know the the the, the national broadcasters are down the hall from the press box that we use and. We, you know, they only mingle with us, you know, low lives when, you know, the, the, when the, there's food in the, in the middle, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the take, you know, the food, uh, for the, for the media. But, uh, so I didn't get to see him when, when he was here last year. And I, and I regretted that because I, I, uh, I definitely, definitely, definitely want to meet him. Yeah, reach out well, to him Mark, on Twitter. He's, he's pretty active on Twitter, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. See, right. I, I like, 
Why, why does why does Twitter exist? That's the ex, that's its express purpose, right there. I, I've already I've already been very explicit about about this. I like to do things that people don't usually do anymore, and that's meet people face to face when possible. No, I'm saying no, 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 no. What I'm saying is the next time he's here in person, right? Reach out to him on Twitter the week you know the week of the game. Say hey, you know, looking forward. Hopefully, I can meet up with you in the press box. You know, it's right. Okay. All right. Good. That, that, you know, I'm 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 trying to you know trying to do a little PR here for you, Murph. Well, you In know. fairness, Murph, I would have tried to get him on the show this week, but you know he's a little busy, as I mentioned, calling base, you know, doing baseball coverage right now in postseason, doing a phenomenal job. I mean, the guy should be calling more baseball and more national. He should be, yeah, he should be doing more network baseball. You know, yeah. not not just not just with the White Sox. I mean, he does a great well, job with the White Sox, obviously, but he should be doing more network stuff. So. Not only not only is Benetti on baseball, which again is is awesome, but he's also usually on the Statcast broadcast for baseball. Yes. I mean, yeah. this can th- can this man have any more of my heart? <laughs> All right, we're gonna let in let's... honor in honor of in honor of Van Pelt, Benetti. <laughs> That's what they like to use it. By the way, whoa, how can we wait a minute? We have done a disservice to our audience here, right? I'm gonna apologize in advance right now. Murph, how can we forget the most important part of the East Carolina game? How how dare us? Look, Jeff mentioned it early on in the show. He goes, because he was talking about the over under for the Tulsa game. He goes, Murph, the over under is what is the over under, Jeff? 72? 72. 72. Yeah. And I said, you know, you probably take the over. You know why you should take the over? Because we saw this past weekend that even if the over is over under 78. As the biggest number on the entire weekend, it's still going to find a way to go over, even if it goes over in the last 19 seconds of a 30-point blowout. And it sure did this game. My God, it was a bad beat for those of us who took the under. And the reward (laughs) was an appearance on Scott Van Pelt's bad beats. You could take conference championships, rankings all you want. The fact we're on bad beats, to me, Eric it's, wants bad beats. That's what I he, want bad beats, Murph. Every we, if we can get there every week, I feel it's a success. Let's let's let's. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of UCF fans listening to this podcast right now who are like, "You're about to go to a break, and now you've pissed me off by reminding me of that bad beat from the East Carolina game." So on that note, we will take a break, and when we return, we got plenty more to talk about. We'll hear some uh, some words from Mike Aresco about the situation involving the uh, college football playoff and the Americans. Uh, drive to try and get somebody into the college football playoff this year. Uh, And we will also talk about uh, some news around the NFL with UCF players and uh, elsewhere as well, uh, including uh, some new additions to the UCF baseball team. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Also, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and, uh, of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com, where are your home for UCF sports on SB Nation, where you can find uh, our updates from our, our good friend Jeremy Brenner, who's been keeping, a tra- keeping track of uh, the alumnites in, uh, on his alumni report, NFL alumni report. Um, good weekend for uh, UCF players. First of all, Shaquille Griffin. Had an interception in the Seahawks uh, game with Dallas. His first interception since 2018. Uh, his brother, Shaquem, was activated off the practice squad. And uh, I think he had a tackle for loss, Murph. Is that right in that game? I think he showed up late in the stat sheet. Did he have a tackle for loss? I think I thought, okay, I, I, thought, I know he almost sacked. Uh, he almost. Oh, he did. He got. I think he got. Yeah, he got uh, Ezekiel Elliott on a screen. 
Right. Yeah, I remember. So, so, you know, Shaquem has kind of found his little niche as a, as like a late game pass rush specialist, which is exactly what he should be doing over there, is considering how good he was for UCF in that position, right? He only played in like I think the fourth quarter alone, and it was only in because you know they knew the the Dallas had to pass late in the game to catch up, so they just brought Shaquille or Shaquem in, put him at the edge of the line. Have him stand up and run. Just run as like just try to get by anybody and run. And look, I, I don't think anybody has to wonder if Shaquem's gonna give you a hundred percent effort. Like you know <laughs> he's gonna give you that. Like that there's at least that. And uh, and you saw the speed because I mentioned also besides the TFL on Zeke Elliott, he had Dak Prescott for a sack in the backfield and Dak wriggled out of it. So uh, and that was you know like all in one series. It was yeah. Really really fun. Elsewhere, Matt Prater was four for four for the Lions in his uh, for the Lions in field goals against the Cardinals, including a game winner to uh, with uh, on the final play of the game, his 16th game-winning field goal of his career. Uh, and but perhaps the best news came from uh, came out of Buffalo, where Gabe Davis uh, put up his best performance just yet uh, in the NFL. Of course, you know the season's still young, obviously. Four catches, 81 yards on four targets, Murph, including a beautiful toe drag on a on a key uh, first down. He mm-hmm. is. I, I think we can say it now, Murph. Uh, Gabe Davis is single handedly saving Josh Allen's career. Yes, it's definitely not <laughs> Stephon Diggs. I mean, <laughs> or or coaching. You know that has made Josh Allen a better player. Um, I, I, you know. What's amazing about Gabe is, well, one, I'll be honest, and like I wrote before the season, I didn't think Gabe would have much of a role this season because, again, this was before we knew that Josh Allen had gotten into God mode uh, and that he was going to be this good <laughs> and that the, and that all of a sudden the Bills were going to utilize four wideouts. Like, that didn't make any sense. Uh, but but Gabriel, uh, Gabe has, has done some, some good stuff in limited action. And now last week, he gets in and gets four targets, catches all of them, like I said, for 81 yards. But going forward, he is sort of set up here for a larger role because John Brown, who is their second out, second perimeter receiver across from uh, Stephon Diggs, uh, looks like he strained a calf in week three and probably will not play this weekend against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, that is probably going to move Gabe Davis into basically the number two out wide spot for the Bills, uh, giving him – Basically every snap, maybe maybe in every snap rotation, uh, and that's that's going to be interesting. With you have Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs on the outside, and and then Cole Beasley on the inside. Um, that, that that's going to be really that's going to be really fun to see Gabe getting a lot of run for the Bills. UCF's fantasy football players, you have been duly warned uh, <laughs> by by one Brian Murphy. Uh, back to college football for a little bit. Um, word from the from ESPN uh, that there actually was a discussion uh, among the college football playoff uh, commissioners. Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, according to Heather Dinich of ESPN, suggested expanding from four to eight for this season, but the CFP management committee did not approve the idea during Wednesday's meeting, according to CFP executive director Bill Hancock. Not a surprise. But uh, Mike Oresco, Eric Lopez, was uh, on fine bomb once again this week. Seems to be something that he does if only he pretty did frequently. More media. If I only he would do more media, Murph, right, guys? I mean, if only he would just, I mean, man, I mean. Yeah, if, if Mike wasn't so afraid of getting in front of the microphone, 
I mean, really, I wish Mike was just more talkative and to more people. Because it just seems like Mike doesn't come out of his shell enough to talk to enough people. Because God Almighty, does he like to talk? Well, he was. Uh, well, he, Paul he was. likes to have him on because of that. Well, listen, he yeah, he's a free segment that you don't have to plan out. But uh, you know, fewer callers the better when it comes to Feinbaum. But um, you, you know, he's he's out there tooting the horn of the conference, right? You know, he was talking about how Tulsa should have beaten Oklahoma State, and this conference does have great players like Dylan Gabriel. Although for some reason he mentioned Derek King, who's no longer in the conference. <laughs> did play. He did look good when he played in the league, as he mentioned. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and play that bite, and then uh, and then we'll play the other one about uh, 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 where he kind of throws a little shade at the big at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 over them not playing as many games, and maybe should. Uh, and, and he says the amount of games should matter in the college football playoff. Well, you know, first of all, that's the fun part of this. You know, have you know when we talked previously, I really didn't even want to talk about this, uh, but now, of course, you, your competitive juices start flowing, and, and we're playing again. And I think it's perfectly legitimate and appropriate to talk about it. Uh, I think that the number of games you play this year should absolutely matter, and should be a significant factor. If the gap is wider, for example, than maybe one or two games. As you know, teams have lost games in the past because of a hurricane or some other issue, and it hasn't really been a big deal. Although, as you, as you may recall, in 2014, the Big 12 may have lost a playoff spot because they didn't have the so-called 13th data point. And so even then, that extra game meant something. Uh, the gap could be wider this year, and, and why should it not matter now? Yes, there's been a pandemic, and those conferences, you know, made decisions based on health and safety, and we absolutely respect that. But they did make their choices, and we decided to play. We placed as much importance on health and safety as they did, but ultimately reached a different decision. The SEC did. The ACC did. You know, we took a lot of heat. We took a lot of risk. Um, I don't think, Paul, that we should necessarily establish a threshold of games that, you know, again, that you have to play uh, to uh, to qualify for this or that. You know, no one knows at this point which teams are going to play which number of games. I mean, the season is going to still have disruption. Uh, but I think playing more games is a better indicator of, of something, you know, of, of, of what you've done. Uh, it, it's one thing, I think, to say, okay, we're not going to require a threshold. There's not going to be a minimum number of games to qualify for this or that, whether it's the CFP, whether it's uh, New Year's Day. But it seems to me it's quite another to say that the number of games doesn't matter. I've seen writers say recently, well, I'm just going to look at, you know, I'm just going to look at the resume. I don't care about the number of games. It's, you know, I'm not going to be biased by that. I don't think it's an issue of bias. I think that. Uh, you know, the more games you play, Paul, you know, the more you take risks, the more, you know, you can lose those games. You you also uh, risk more injury. Uh, I think you, you should get credit for playing additional games. If you play four or five more games than a particular team, you know, you're likely to get more beaten up. And if you win those games and you, you play nine, 10, 11 games, <clears throat> even 12 games, we've got some teams that could possibly even play, you know, as many as 13 uh, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear. And, you know, teams that, again, are starting in late October and November, it's great that they're playing. I don't know whether they'll play nine conference games. We were able to play a few, and that is an indicator for us, as you know. 
Uh, but a number of factors, I think, have to be weighed in, in this uh, equation. And uh, I don't think you should discount the fact that, you know, we've played games in September and October because others aren't playing. Um, and this year, especially, as you know, teams have had to work really hard to, to stay free of the virus. Uh, they've taken risks. Uh, you know, they, they found good solutions, uh, and, and other conferences are following, uh, which is good. Uh, but I don't think you, you can ignore that. And, 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 you know, again, rewarding teams that, that played far fewer games, I just don't think, depending on the circumstances, we'll have to weigh it out, you know. Uh, but, you know, again, if you've played essentially a month and a half and somebody else has been playing three and a half months, I think that at least has to be taken into consideration. And I think that's my point. Now, as far as ranking teams, Paul, that have not played, I just don't think that makes any sense. Uh, it's one thing to have a beauty contest at the beginning of the year and rank teams that haven't played. But it seems to me you might want to wait. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't make sense. And also, it's going to be very bizarre anyway when those teams start to play because you know, you'd be ranking a team that might be 1-0 and or 2-1 and or 1-1 and when others have played anywhere from four, five, six, even seven games. So, again, that's going to be an issue that we'll all have to look at. But, uh, you know, that's, again, you know, my feeling about, about how the season should play out. I'm not saying that, you know, someone who's played, you know, more games automatically gets preference. But certainly if we've got a 10-0 and team or an 11-0 team or a 10-1 and team and somebody else has only played six or seven or eight games, I mean, I think, I think that ought to be, be taken into serious consideration. Well, we knew it would come to this eventually. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I can just, everyone can just see this situation unfolding where the CFP is going to pick like, a, you know, 6-0 and Ohio State. And it's going to tick everybody off. And, and I, don't, I don't blame them. But when you have a season as unusual as this, you know the CFP. Their their objective is to put together the most appealing matchup for tel- for television consumption that they possibly can find. So, uh, so I, I don't know, Eric. What do you think? The problem is he's trying to make the case for as many games. Uh, well, that kind of helps the SEC too. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think that's really the the the, the message we want to be sending is. Hey, you should put the team in that played the most games because then the SEC, Greg Sankey, will say, yeah, you're right. We should put two of us in. So, sounds, yeah, sounds <laughs> like a great idea. In fact, let's put three SEC teams uh, in while we're Right, at. right. So, <laughs> it's, it's, look, it's a tough situation because uh, it's a unique circumstance. Everybody's dealing with this. You can't con- Some of this you can't control. And I, I don't think you want to send out the message that you have to play games in a situation like this, like I've applauded the teams that haven't played that had to postpone games. I, I think that's a good thing. So um, at the end of the day, this is an eye test. It's always been about the eye test. I know people are bothered by that, but in reality, there's one playoff spot really. Uh, Cause right now this sport is dominated by three programs, Alabama, Clemson and Ohio state. And once Ohio state gets on the field, they're going to show why they're one of the three best teams. They were the three best. Uh, they were three of the Unless four they best lose. teams. Unless they lose, they're not going to lose. So right down uh, the, the date the and time 10, you said the that. The Big Ten schedule. The Big Ten made sure that by that giving them that whip schedule, wimpy schedule they gave them. Unlike <laughs> Nebraska, where they smacked Scott Frost in the behind with that schedule. Holy smokes! Um, that uh, can I make a bold prediction? I think in five years, everybody talks about realignment. Nebraska and the Big Ten will part ways. I think that's. 
I mean, that is a very divisive deal. But I think the question's going to be, who are the people in the committee going to be impressed by? Who do they think is the four best teams? Who's the fourth team there? And I don't think that because you play 10 games and you play the other team plays nine, that's a big difference. I get where Mike is coming from, and in a normal year I would agree, but I'm sorry. I got to give everybody a pass this year. This is a, a, a once-in-a-100-year deal here with them pandemic. So I'm going to give teams some slight uh, a break that they don't get to play 12 games or 10 games. I, I, I'm not going to be that harsh, and I don't think the, obviously the, I don't think the committee will be either. You know what you do, American Athletic Conference teams? Keep winning games. Just keep make, winning games. Make, well, make, it, their, right. make their decision as difficult as humanly possible. Well, but, and let's just, I mean, let's make sure we get our games in. Let's make sure everybody takes care of business and that no teams are allegedly ended up in a party bus or whatever they were doing and cause postponements. Uh, yep. Because, you know, I don't think, I mean, to, you know, the Americans not out of the woods. We've already had a game postponed with Memphis and Houston. I think it's worth bringing up. They've announced that that game is going to get made up, I believe, December 5th. And unfortunately, Paul didn't ask him. It's kind of annoying because Paul doesn't. Well, first of all, in defense of Paul Feinbaum, as Murph has pointed out, uh, you don't get to ask a ton of questions for, uh, at times because, uh, you know, Mike says his speech. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's. I, the question's going to be, when is the American Conference Championship game going to be played? I know you brought that question up in our group chat, Chef, and that's a valid question. What if Memphis is in the mix? Do they push it to December 12th? Do they move it to December 19th, where a lot of the conference championship games are going to be slated in? And so you are you could be losing some TV slots if you don't act quickly here. So while maybe they're planning on keeping it in December 5th, they might want to look into that before all the TV slots run away. Well, well they have said, the American official, when they announced the schedule, they officially said that the championship game would, could, would take place on either the 5th, 12th, or the 19th. Uh, they gave themselves that leeway. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that that has to do with it, it has to do with exactly what you're talking about. Now, um, whether or not that Memphis Houston game, if they're trying to make that one up, you know, we're pr we're probably going to see a couple of weeks where that may happen. You know, if the, especially if Memphis and Houston, as we're expecting, will probably fit, could probably very well figure into um, the conference championship. Remember, there's no divisions this year, and the top two teams. Uh, advance to the uh, conference uh, championship at the home of the team with the best conference record. So, um, but your, your overall point is correct. You just got to stay, you stay the course and win games and you got to give, I got, again, we got to give UCF credit. The, the players and the coaches have stuck to the protocols and um, yeah. as far as, and as far as we know, they've done their part. They've absolutely done their part. And which is more than we can say for several other teams, uh, including some in the state. Anyway, um, let's move on to other stuff. Baseball. Uh, 21. Yes, Murph. 20. Uh, how, how many? Uh, we got 12 <laughs> new guys. Uh, most of these guys officially, you know, it, it, basically it's now officially official, but we already knew that they were coming in. Um, but, uh, Greg Lovelady's got a, a group of, uh, new players, including he's really bulked up the pitching. Uh, adding uh, was it seven right-handers uh, and one lefty um, uh, to go with a couple of infielders and a catcher, uh, but uh, or a guy at least is listed as an outfielder slash catcher. Uh, uh, one of them is a, a senior transfer in uh, AJ Jones, a 
Um, grad transfer from Jacksonville University. Tall drink of water is this kid, 6'5", 220 from Sarasota. Um, your word on the uh, on the additions to the roster. I know that you know it's pretty... Some of these guys we knew were already coming. We kind of discussed them before, but just to remind everybody about them and uh, what do they bring to the table? Well, first thing we should say is that uh, our Danny Medina has written it up about yes. uh, the new players on the baseball team. So for those of you who want uh, a full rundown of the new of the 12 new guys, more than just what we can say here, uh, you should definitely go read that article. Uh, we've talked uh, about a couple of these guys already. The, the, the two grad transfers, A.J. Jones from Jacksonville and, and Kenny Surwa, uh, a six-one uh, right-handed pitcher uh, that that transferred over in the summer. We talked about those guys already, and then the rest are, are incoming freshmen. I will I will point out a couple of names here. Uh, Alex Freeland, it was a six-two infielder from uh, Cape Coral, Florida, and John Montes, who's a uh, from Puerto Rico, another infielder, um, shortstop, third base, second base. Both you know, bef- even in this year where the draft was short was shortened to five rounds. Uh, there were some rumors or maybe some thoughts that that one of those guys or maybe both of those guys could actually be picked in the draft. Uh, and so UCF was very happy, obviously, that they did not because now they get to go and play for UCF. So Alex Freeland and, and John Montez are two guys that sort of stand out stand out for me. Um, it's really hard to, to diagnose what's going to happen with freshmen. You just don't know, you know how much playing time they're going to get, what the roles are available. But those two guys are worth keeping tabs on. Obviously, we know that Sirwa and Jones are going to be, you know, in either the rotation or bullpen. They're going to have a role. We know that. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the other freshmen fit in. All right. One guy I wanted to note, by the way, Colin Flynn, uh, 6'1", 190 freshman. He's from Coral Springs, went to Marjorie Stillman Douglas High School. Uh, so, uh, hoping to see hoping to see what he has to offer, as well as uh, a couple of local kids um, from Montverde Academy. JoJo Coffee, who's a right-handed pitcher. At a Winter Garden, and uh, Zach Bennett, who's from Port Orange, with the Spruce Creek. So, uh, quite a few guys that uh, you know from the local area, and uh, Nick Vieira, also from uh, Margate, Florida, who, which is where I spent ten years of my life growing up in South Florida. So, get those South Florida kids, Greg Lovelady. That's what we like to see. Um, all right, let's wrap this thing up here uh, while we get the chance to. You know, I, I obviously. Uh, Murph and I, we're enjoying watching the Yankees hang on for dear life against the Indians here. And, of course, uh, Eric, I won't mention game one of the NBA Finals. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm watching the Yankee game, too. Okay. Because <laughs> game one's over. over. <laughs> yes, congrats, uh, publicly uh, uh, congratulate Brian Murphy on game one on his beloved Los Angeles Lakers defeating the Miami Heat uh, comfortably and probably will win this series in <clears> five or six. Uh, I feel like this has kind of been destined – Unfortunately for those, Taco Fall got knocked out by the Heat. It's game seven on Sunday. So Taco is out of the bubble. So uh, that's your NBA update. And uh, so, yeah, the, the Lakers are off to a good start. So, yeah, I'm watching the Yankee game as you guys are watching it. Of course, at least the Marlins won. Although, Murph, Dan Winkler, UCF's uh-huh. own, I'm not real happy with him right now because he came in in the ninth inning and he took out the Marlins version of Mike Trout and Starling Marte. Threw up, up and in, not on purpose, in fairness. Up and in, hits Marte in the wrist, fractured wrist. He's out for the playoffs. I'm bummed out. I will say, Starling Marte really appreciates you calling him, putting him and Mike Trout in the same sentence. Yeah. yeah. Starling Marte is a fine player, a very good player uh, for Pittsburgh and Arizona. And the fact that he is now 
in your mind, the Marlins Mike Trout. That a is a poor man's Mike Trout. A very, very, oh. very poor man. Which tells I'm just. It's more of a, a comment on the rest of the position players we got. Yes, <laughs> I will never forget that though. And I will say, yeah, uh, it's, it's really unfortunate. Dan Winkler just threw a two seamer that ran in. Uh, it's just something that happens. Like his ball had a lot of movement, and it, it hit Marte in a bad spot. You just never want to get hit on the hand. So many bad things can go wrong there with all those small bones. Um, and it's really unfortunate. But, hey, at least we got a UCF player in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Take, please don't take any more Marlins out the rest of the series. And congrats to Chad Matola, mm-hmm. great UCF Athletics Hall of Famer. The Rays trashing the Blue Jays took care of business in two games. And who knows? Could be playing the Yankees. Uh, we'll find out and soon. But more importantly, the Rays look pretty good as a team that could make it to the World Series. Rays do look good. You know, they had the, uh, the, the, uh, their total run differential in these two games was the second largest positive run differential in Rays history uh, in a playoff series behind only the ALCS when they beat the Red Sox. So mm. well, they're, scoring, they're scoring a bunch of runs. That kind of scares me a little bit. And Chad Matola runs that offense, which is kind of unique because – they, you know, it's kind of in a way they use a lot of advanced analytics. They were probably ahead of the curve, weren't they, Murph, in baseball as far as the shifts and, and analytics. And I think you've commented on this. Teams have kind of caught up, you know, kind of copied the Rays in a lot of ways. And then, you know, like, you know, game two, Chad Matola has this all lefty lineup that he and it crushed uh, Ryu. They have a lot of different pieces. They don't have that one superstar hitter, but they have a lot of guys who can play and match. And, and he uses those matchups well. And their bullpen is incredibly deep and versatile. They've had 13 different guys get saves this season, uh, and there's and people and people in baseball are still copying the Rays. Yes, they've been copying the Rays for more than 10, 15 years. They're copying the Rays in the way that they use the opener, and the, the Rays were really on top of that at first. Now a lot of people do it. Uh, they're copying the way the, the Rays in which they tell people, players to pitch, um, which is which has changed throughout baseball over the last five years. Um, the Rays have really been on the analytical front in so many ways which is why continuously they're able to turn a very low payroll, 30, 40, whatever it is, million dollars into a playoff team. Um, and uh, but, but, but to be fair, I don't think anybody saw them having the best record in the American League last year. This year, it's, it's been amazing uh, what they've done. I also want to bring up, because we are not done with our UCF baseball updates, <laughs> Ben Lively continues to freaking roll. Like a soldier over in Korea, he dealt. That yeah, season's still going on. Yes, it goes on. Yeah, that season goes on until November, I think, right? Yeah, I think. Wow. I, yeah, yeah, it goes on until yeah, it goes on for a long time. Anyway, guys, I mentioned in the last podcast last week that Ben Lively, in his previous outing, threw seven no-hit innings and then got a no decision because his offense couldn't do anything uh, against Dusan. And then today, earlier this morning, he played the KT Wiz uh, and dealt seven more innings, one run, six hits, four strikeouts. He now, in the month of September, has an ERA of 191 and a whip of about .7. Uh, this is, a again, we've, we've talked about before, like Ben was not having a very good year. It was an unlucky year. There were some injuries early on, and then he was kind of getting hit around. 
But my oh my, Ben Lively, I need I might need to start waking up again at four thirty in the morning. I was gonna say, did you stay up? Did you get up to watch that? Otherwise, because I know there was baseball starting at noon to, on Wednesday. You could have really gone all out if you would have gotten up. Yeah, that all game day and baseball. All baseball. Wow! Holy smokes! I, I I mean, I probably should have. Right? It would have been that would have been fantastic if I if I had actually done that. But Ben's pitching so well now. I feel like I have to uh, I have to do that. He's Five, trying to- Turn to the KBO's version of Jacob DeGrom here. In the but, last but, starts. By the way, nobody beats the Wiz? Uh-uh. Ben Lively beats the Wiz. It, well, except that he didn't because... People who live up north will know what I'm referencing. Yes, we all know the Wiz. <laughs> it's very popular in New York. We get it. Uh, I'm, ruin- I'm ruining your, your uh, lovely, lovely little pun because I want to say that, yeah. yes, Eric is right. Ben Lively is Jacob DeGrom because, once again... <laughs> He got the no. He got a no decision. Yep. SKT Wiz won five to three. Uh, so again, in the last two starts, Ben Lively has gone fourteen innings, given up one run, and he's zero and zero. Maybe we could. Can they fly him in to pitch in this Yankees Indians game? Because this is like the only nobody is scoring runs, Murph, in this postseason except the Yankees and the Indians. Apparently, it's fantastic. You have this yesterday on Tuesday. You had the best pitcher in baseball this year in Shane Bieber. Facing the best pitcher in baseball last year in Garrett Cole, and that game had more had more had more runs than you know multiple games combined, uh, because baseball is weird and it's fluky, especially when it's in a three game series. That's why we love it. I'm and I'm the- digging these first round three game series with all the games at the home teams at the home teams park. I'm digging the eight teams in each league. I don't care what any of you say. I like it, and I hope baseball keeps it. It's not here to stay. It's a great thing for a one year. Also, what's interesting is just how many home teams are losing. Uh, I think that's fun, too. Exactly. Chaos. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Give everybody a shot here. This is, this is great. This is, baseball is weird. Keep, 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 make baseball weird again. That's what I but, want. Don't, don't make baseball lame and put 16 teams into a playoff. Basketball already does. I went through this last week, and I, I complained. Yeah, so we don't I, need to go back into that well there. Uh, but, you know, that's the only reason why I haven't like, no lost fun. complete confidence in the Heat-Lakers series. Because the Lakers technically were the home team, so they protected home court. That's all they did. Stick it to it. All right. Well, don't forget, uh, we got uh, coverage of the game coming up. I'm going to have the preview yeah. on Friday. Uh, we're all going to be on Twitter for that game as well on Saturday, 7.30 p.m. kick. Um, Murph, you'll be in the press box. Eric, you'll be where you'll be. Where will you be? I'll be home watching it. That's you'll what be. I'll be doing. <laughs> I will be sacrificing myself this season for the greater good of mm. the press box for everybody to social distance and people like Murph get make sure he gets his coffee. Please, people, the give rest the man of, his coffee. The rest of us will be watching the game, of course, and uh, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course. Blackandgoldbanneret.com. Make sure you follow all the rest of us. We've got a couple of good things that are due to come out as well um, later this week. Murphy got your checklist. People love those checklists, man. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like a cliff notes for, for what we should see. Uh, thanks, as always, to uh, Danny Medina, who's got uh, a game day guide coming out. Everyone got rave reviews uh, from her first one for Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Uh, so she's going to be talking about the home game here as well. Jeremy Brenner uh, has got some more stuff that's up there. He's going to be doing his roundtable. And Luke Saris has a good feature coming out on the not-so-golden history between UCF and Tulsa. If, you want to, if you're want to, if you like me and 
revel in pain as a UCF fan, <laughs> uh, you'll probably you'll probably uh, remember this um, as well. So, uh, and of course, don't forget to keep an eye on us every morning with Jeremy Brenner's newsletter. Uh, That's right. Uh, every every morning. So, and we then of course, the top thirty uh, UCF assistants. Yes. Out of the top ten finalized. Thanks to everybody with the feedback. We'll so, probably go more into that next week. When yeah, and so, apply, and some yeah. love from from number two on the list, the great Donna Fister. Donna, we love you. We really do, and you totally deserve every honor that you get, and uh, and we just want to let you know that we're thinking about you, and we miss you. Um, and then, uh, what else do we have? Oh, after the game, don't forget, also, uh, Andrew Glukov's knee-jerk reactions, which people have been uh, reading with alacrity uh, this uh, so far this year over the first two games. So, uh, that's been a lot of fun. All right, let's wrap this thing up for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll see you for the home opener Saturday, 7.30 p.m. UCF against Tulsa.